Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, along with co-host, Benta Boutier. Today, we're going to talk about the new tent ban in parks, the closure of Wheeler Mission Women's Shelter, and other issues involving homelessness here in Bloomington and Monroe County. We have three guests with us. Uh, in the studio with us is Jim Whitlatch, who's a board member for the Bloomington Board of Parks Commissioners. And joining us over Zoom are Emily Pike, Executive Director for New Hope for Families, and the Reverend Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director at Beacon Incorporated. If you have questions or comments, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 877-285-9348. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send us questions there. And you can send questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. So welcome to everybody. Jim, good to have you here in the studio. Emily and, and Forrest, always good to have you on the program. I'm going to start with Jim. And let's just talk about the, uh, the, the ban of tents in the parks. Um, ex- just explain what's happening. Yeah, so at a meeting in uh, early August, we passed a ban on tents in the park uh, from a health and safety issue is where we were coming from with that. Um, part of our, you know, our role as park commissioners is to oversee and manage the parks. And we felt that the tents were creating a health and safety issue in the parks, um, both from illegal activity, taking part in those, and being able to provide a more welcoming environment for uh, all folks. Uh, this was not an attempt to move uh, the unhoused out of the parks. It was not an attempt to do that. It was an attempt to uh, make the parks what they're for, which is a welcoming environment for everyone. All right. We, we, uh, Benta was out. She's done some reporting on this issue, and she talked to one of the one of the people who has been spending lots of time in the parks. We want to play that clip for you now. They need to do to where the tents can't be up no more. That's going to be hard on us simply because a lot of us don't have nowhere to go. We don't have no family, no friends, no relatives, no nothing here in Bloomington. You hear me? Bloomington is a college town. It's already bad enough that we're limited the time that we can set our tents up and that we have to be at the park because there are rules and regulations that goes with the park. You have to be out of here at 11 o'clock or whatever time it is. Jim, I know uh, we've talked, we talked before, all three of us talked, uh, four of us with Benta here as well, talked about how this is a really, really difficult issue. And, you know, you, you already said that you were really looking at it from the, um, from the safety issue. I mean, what, what is allowed in the parks in terms, I know these are enclosed tents, right? So there could be something that could shelter people. Sure. The, uh, ordinance was very specific to allow for shade shelters 
which would be shelters that could go up, uh, and you see them uh, in many different areas, uh, that can go up and protect people from the sun, from some of the elements, those types of things. Those are not, those are permitted. And in reality, tents are still permitted uh, if people have a special permit and they need a tent for some activity they're going to do in the park, there is a mechanism where the tent could, uh, tents could still be used. But the way that tents have been used, particularly in areas like Seminary Park, uh, is, what, is what we were getting at to, uh, to change that policy. But not to exclude people from the park, not to move anyone out of the park, uh, but simply to uh, allow for uh, a safer environment and to be able to uh, see what goes on in the park. Everybody, it's not just uh, for a specific population, it's for everyone's safety and necessities. So what does that mean in terms of if you can get an exception or let the town file for an exception to put a tent up in the park. Can do you guys get to accept or reject those sort of at your discretion? Um, how does that work? Yeah, I've never been involved in that specifically, but I think that process is probably more intended for somebody that's, for instance, going to have. Well, th- this weekend's an exact is a good example of it, where you have something, uh, even though it's not part of the parks department, but we have Fourth Street Festival. And people in that are setting up what you might call shade shelters or you might call tents as part of that activity uh, to have a festival or to have something like the 4th Street Art Fair. And so things like that is what we're talking about. We're not talking about tents where people can move in and live in those tents or things like that. The criteria, I'm not, uh, I haven't been involved in that process, but I think it's probably what the, what it's going to be used for, how long it's going to be there, that type of thing. What was the conversation like or what was outreach like in the weeks following or preceding the policy? Um, did you visit the parks? What did that look like? Yeah, I I was out of town, so I did not personally visit it, but I have or visit the parks. But I have had updates from the parks department from Paula McDivitt, who's the uh, parks director, uh, and I know that there was very much outreach uh, undertaken by the parks department. They posted signs within the parks to let them know the policy. It wasn't like on the day it took effect that we were coming in and taking down tents, things like that. Uh, There was education of the people in the parks that had them. Signs were posted. I know that the Parks Department met with several people in the social services area. Uh, I suspect that uh, Forrest and Beacon were involved in that uh, and others were involved in having that information. And it's my understanding that there's been good communication and good ish, uh, good uh, appreciation of that process. We've also tried to make people understand, I think there's some misunderstanding among some of the folks that this was trying to ban the actual people from the park and that's not what the intent is or what the practice is or anything along those lines. Uh, so we've made sure that they know that they do have other options. They have shade shelters and, and continue to work with them and put them in touch with social services organizations. Forrest, let's bring you in now and, and Emily as well. But Forrest, from uh, the people that you're working with, with the, the folks that you see on a regular basis, how is this policy being perceived and, and how is it, you know, how, how has it, how has the implement, implementation been? I mean, you, you, I think when we bring in direct voices, and I really want to appreciate that you actually brought in a quote from a, a person directly impacted by the, by the policy. That's what, you know, that's, I think what's important is that someone from the community told us very clearly that this was a hardship on them and, and changing the policy was difficult and challenging for them um, and will make it harder for them to get through their um, their day-to-day life, which is already an incredible struggle. So I just want to echo and lift up the fact that we, you know, you've very much featured a voice that told you very clearly what their experience was. Um, I, I don't really feel like there was any you know, challenge or problem with the process of, of getting there. That's not really my concern, but I 
can say that very clearly that um, you know we've entered into a policy which I think I, I think some people are saying it does positive things, but I, I worry that it actually is doing 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 harm, and that and that's uh, that's my concern, of course. Forrest, can you talk a little bit about um, I guess what portion of people experiencing homelessness um, spend time? In the parks, I know that's something we talked about in our interviews a little bit, and I thought that was kind of the next thing that came to my mind. Sure, and and that's a, I mean that's a, a huge issue. But um, most people experiencing homelessness are not very public. Uh, people never see them, um, and um, they're you know in the shelters or living out of their cars or living on the streets, but in a far less public way. So the 20 or so people we might see at the park or here or there um, represent, you know, maybe 5% of the total homeless population in our community. So a very tiny, tiny percentage. Um, and yet their their needs and their challenges and their issues are just as important as the people who are less visible. So I don't want to dismiss that, but I also want to acknowledge that the concerns that people express about homeless folks are very narrow to a, to a to a very specific um, uh, small percentage of the total population. Emily, I wanted to bring bring your voice in now because you you know you have a lot of contact with a lot of people around the community, and I I want to just get your take on this most recent issue. Yeah, this is an issue that's less likely to impact families, right? Um, because we know that families, we, we do have enough support for families so that they're not ever sleeping outside or living in cars. Um, I, on the other hand, we know that the, the families who are in shelters um, make up only a small percentage of folks who are housing insecure in our community. And for families, what that often looks like is people who are doubled up which may mean that they have a friend or a family member uh, who will let them sleep there with their kids, uh, but maybe they do have to find somewhere else to be for a lot of the day. Uh, and I think what gets tricky about this is that, you know, we do want the parks to be to be available to everyone. And I, I totally understand that, right? I mean, I even hear that from our clients, you know. Um, on the other hand, there are a limited number of places where people can actually be during the day. Uh, and I think, you know, sometimes folks say, well, they can go to Wheeler, they can go to Shalom Center. Um, and certainly those things are true. Uh, and and that doesn't mean that that's where folks would prefer to be. And it doesn't mean that that's enough choices, probably. Uh, I think we get into some some tricky areas when we say, well, this rule applies to everyone. And of course it does. Um, but not everyone has the same need as these folks, right? Um, it reminds me of that famous uh, Anatole France quote, right? Uh, the law and its majestic equality forbids rich and poor alike to sleep under bridges, to beg in the streets, and to steal their bread. Uh, so, yeah, it's true that this this does apply to everyone, um, but not everyone has the same level of need. Um, and I'm not saying that I uh, think this is actually um, the, the worst decision. I do think that uh, the Parks Board has a really hard job. Uh, so when they're thinking about keeping everyone safe in the parks, I don't know how to do that truly. Um, and uh, I do know that this will make some people feel a lot more welcome in the parks. Um, so I think it's just a, a really complicated issue. Um, and, and I applaud you guys for taking the time to talk about it. Well, I think, let, let me just add, uh, Jim, I want to give you a chance to respond because, you know, as you said, um, it's people can still go to the parks. Anybody can still can still go to the parks, but some there are those who feel like this was this is targeting them, or it's it's a rule made for them. How do you how do you persuade people or convince people that that's not the case? Well, I think that's always you know it's always a difficult and and decisions have to be made that impact some people more than others. Uh, and I and you know our job as park commissioners is to do what's best for the community, best for those, best for the parks. This was in no way or fashion meant to try to exclude anyone from the parks or to say that they can't go to the parks during the day. They certainly can, um, but they but it's but it's an effort to it's again it's a public safety, public health 
issue in part, uh, and it's and we we are I am personally, and I think the park commissioners are as well. Certainly sympathetic to the issues that all everyone faces and the difficult decisions we all have, but uh, we just feel that it was a decision made. Uh, and a process to, you know, weigh the different options and try to make the parks welcoming, uh, still allow people to utilize the parks and protect everyone in the parks, not just the, uh, not just, you know, the people that are, that have homes and things like that, but even, quite frankly, uh, making it a safer place for those who frequent the parks who may not be housed uh, at the present time. This We think this helps keep them safer as well. What do you mean by that? Well, I think there's a lot. I think, I mean, let's let's face it. There is a, the, the part, the biggest, one of the biggest concerns with the tents is the types of illegal activity that takes place in the tents in the parks. And that's you know we can all we can all talk about that, but uh, there certainly is a concern with illegal activity, and that illegal activity is dangerous not just for you or me or for the person who brings their child in a uh, stroller to the park, but it's also dangerous to the people that may not be housed who are in the park somebody who is using illegal drugs or uh, any other kind of illegal activities in the park creates a dangerous environment for everybody in the park. Um, so one of the things that I heard mentioned by um, someone who was attending the meeting a couple weeks ago was the fact that um, removing tents won't change the fact that these activities take place. It'll just move them to other places. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. So maybe if these kinds of things aren't occurring in parks any longer, but in other areas surrounding the city. Yeah, I understand a fair question. Uh, understand that my role as a park commissioner is to take care of the parks, so I can't help what happens elsewhere, although I am as a citizen of Bloomington and Indiana and Monroe County, I'm certainly concerned about that. So that's one, but but not meaning to push it off onto somebody else. There's no question, and, uh, you know, Forrest and Emily and uh, all the people that we have in this community and resources, we need to continue to try to work and provide services to the to folks so that they don't uh, so that they can deal with these issues. Uh, it's not an effort to put everybody in jail or to criminalize homelessness. It's to provide, you know, we they need to be helped and they need to have services. So there's no question about that. And we're not trying to simply push it off and push them into the shadows. But, uh, but our job is to take care of the parks. So oh. I was just going to give our contact information. Yeah. Benta, I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off, but if you have a question or a comment, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. We also have uh, means of taking your questions, news at indianapublicmedia.org and Twitter at Noon Edition. You can send us questions there. I've got some questions that I'm going to get to, but I'm going to go back to Benta first. So um, I remember you saying a little bit ago also that you're trying to make the parks more accessible to everyone in the community. And so how will you know whether the new enclosure policy is effective in doing that? Um, will you, there be like park attendance monitored, I guess? How will we, we know people are going to Seminary Square more often? Yeah, a fair question, and I think that's those are things that we'll have to evaluate. I don't know that we have a specific way to evaluate that at the present time. I know we do uh, regularly check and and are aware of that, and have ambassadors in the parks and things like that to do that. So certainly, that's uh, you know whether it works and how well it works on specific issues will be something that we certainly have to monitor. And, th and we'll continually be looking at this policy and other policies uh, that's in the interest of everybody to try to 
work with the parks. We have uh, received a, an email with several um, issues, comments on it from a um, person uh, is signing his name as known by many as Shining Wolf. So perhaps <laughs> some people know him. Maybe uh, Forrest is familiar. Um, but he says there's no easy fix, yet a serious-minded committee involving Centerstone, city council members, Beacon, and others needs to meet frequently on the issue of drug use besides marijuana. When they are sent away to help wean off alcohol, meth, et cetera, they are released to go back to the same situations which were conducive to their addictions and to rely on their own strength to stay away. Forrest, um, can you respond to that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> thank you, Shining Wolf. I know exactly who, who that is and, and glad for his comment. Um, and um, <clears throat> I, I think um, he hits on something very important. And and it's it's hard to do this. You know, we're, we're talking quick and, and sound bites and things like that. But this is a very big uh, issue as a whole. And so it's hard to talk about the whole thing. In, in... Oh, I think we've lost forest Emily are you there seem to have lost Emily Jim's here though <laughs> yes Jim do you know of any committees like this that um, well I know there's meeting? yeah I know that there's regular meetings weekly for, for people those those are the two yeah. I think huge issues we're facing right now in a in our community, and um, and what happens when we fail on that end? It creates these issues in the parks, <laughs> you know, because we're not dealing with the larger uh, issues. We we're not getting to the issues with the parks and substance use is huge one. Synthetic synthetic uh, drugs, meth and fentanyl in particular, are incredibly potent. Um, there's a new kind of meth called P2P meth, which is um, uh, highly, highly toxic, and um, and these two things together, as well as others, are are um, really killing people. And so, uh, we do need to take that very seriously. Uh, Forrest, you cut out for a minute there. So, when you came back on, you said those are two <clears throat> of, two of the biggest issues. Uh, I assume uh, drug use was one of the issues you're talking about. Um, yeah, oh, sorry. Then, so that, that... <laughs> and I, I'm going to guess mental health issues might have been the other. I, I was talking about I talked about housing and just okay, how we're failing okay. people yeah, yeah. affordable and accessible housing. And then the other one was, you know, kind of a dual talking about substance use and mental health together, okay. which uh, they're definitely overlapping there. Not entirely, of course, but definitely overlapping. All right. Um, there's another comment um, from Shining Wolf that, that says uh, he would like to see an attempt made to bring the homeless people who are experiencing homelessness into the into an agreement that if they would stop trashing the park, the library, public right-of-ways, they could keep their tents for nights, uh, particularly rainy and, and rainy and cold, cold days. Most people who are homeless are not the intimidating, scary people they're portrayed to be. Uh, if by chance some will not commit, then those people can be removed. Uh, but we shouldn't be labeling all people as the same. So. Emily Forrest, reactions to that? Um, I, I, I think his point is fundamentally strong in that. In that, I think by, for example, banning tents, we're ban banning a, an act of survivability rather than trying to deal with the fundamental problem, which is the behavioral issues, the littering, the things like that, the drug use and stuff like that are that are happening in in public settings. And so that's kind of my biggest concern with with this is that we've uh, we've ta we've tried to deal with one problem by trying to solve it with another another issue, which is fundamentally an issue to some degree of survivability, and um, and so I think that's that's his point is 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 good. It's like let's deal with the real problems as opposed to um, the survival issues that um, that people are you know using uh, there because not everyone is breaking the rules that um, are being associated with having tents up. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to a, a second issue, and we have another clip, but I'm going to wait just a second on that clip while we introduce the issue. Benta, you want to talk about what's going on at Wheeler? Um, yeah. So um, the Wheeler Mission Bloomington Shelter for Women and Children 
closed this week well today is their final day so they will no longer be offering sheltering services to women and children um, other services are still available at their location their like main location um, and so that's basically okay. what's going on before we <laughs> before we play that clip Emily how does that affect uh, your organization so that has a minimal effect, truthfully, at New Hope. Uh, New Hope only serves families with children, uh, and we are currently the only emergency shelter in the region that does that. So uh, so these women that are being displaced from, from Wheeler, unfortunately, uh, are not eligible to be served at New Hope. Okay. Um, Forrest, what, what is the um, – where can they go? Yeah, that now puts us in the position of the only overnight shelter for single women, uh, emergency shelter for single women in our community. And so uh, we're certainly seeing, uh, you know, an uptick in numbers of people seeking, seeking uh, women seeking shelter. So we've responded at our shelter friends place uh, by um, increasing the number of women's beds available to people so that we can have more women um, have a safe place to stay. And we're going to keep monitoring that demand and seeing what's going on there and seeing um, how the need is um, and we'll continue to expand women's beds as, as needed so that we can shelter as many women as possible. Do you know how many women are coming to Friends Place from the Wheeler Women's Shelter right now? Yeah, um, we've probably seen uh, somewhere in the range of four to six. Um, so uh, from when they made the announcement. Okay. So we have a couple of clips. Benta talked to uh, Dana Jones, who is the director out at Wheeler, right? Yeah, I think he's the community. He's community engagement for Wheeler Mission in Bloomington. All right. So we have a clip from him. So I think uh, what I've heard uh, a lot from those that we're serving is a sadness. You know that uh, we've lost. Uh, another resource in our community. And, uh, and I would agree with that. There is a sadness about that. I think none of us are happy for this event to take place. I, I think uh, uh, although it's one we had to the step we had to make, I don't think any of us have would desire to see that happen. So it does leave a bit of a gap for uh, a, a population of uh, women experiencing homelessness. Uh, but as I said, we are talking with other shelter providers uh, to see what they may be able to do within the next coming months. And I'm going to assume that Forrest, you're one of the other, you're one of the other providers, right, Forrest? Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. We've been in conversations with Wheeler since they made the announcement public. Okay. And then we've got uh, one last clip we want to play that Benta talked to uh, Kelly, who was a guest at Wheeler and moved in with her family this week. So let's hear from her. It hurts. It hurts when I go and I look at what I've been struggling through, and I know there's other women. And you know, winter's not—it's not too far away. And I—I I just hate the fact that the shelter has to close. So I want to go back to. Um to Emily and and Forrest for a minute. I mean, this these are people. This is a population that you work with on a regular basis. Um, what's it like when you you hear a story like you know Kelly's story, saying you know it really hurts. What am, what am I going to do now? Emily, can you go first? Yeah. yeah. So I think Kelly's story is unfortunately common, right? Um, you know. Forrest touched on this a little bit earlier, and so did uh, Shining Wolf. Uh, oftentimes, when we think about homelessness, we tend to think of uh, people who are very visible, people with extreme needs, uh, people who maybe have an extreme uh, mental health condition, or people who have uh, who are who are deeply entrenched in a substance use disorder. Um, but the truth is that the vast majority of people who are experiencing homelessness uh, are neither one of those, right? In fact, you know, the, the vast majority of people in this country uh, experience homelessness one time and never again. 
uh, more than half of people resolve their homelessness within 30 days. Um, and so for those people in particular, when we hear about these resources not being available, what that can mean is that they're more likely to become people who stay homeless for longer, right? Because we aren't able to get them that little bit of help that they need at the beginning. When we're able to offer a little bit of help to people when they need it, uh, they're less likely to come back into homelessness. Uh, but we know that when people aren't able to access any resources, they're much more likely to fall into homelessness again. And then what maybe is a, is a less serious mental health condition or someone who's in recovery from a substance use disorder, they're much more likely to, to experience um, much more severe effects from those two things. So when I hear a story like Kelly's, it makes me think, gosh, I'm sure glad she had family around uh, because they were able to kind of come in and, and help her out there. Um, but we know that that's not the case for everyone. And in fact, most people who end up in shelters don't have family who are willing to help them out. Um, and if they did, they wouldn't be in shelters. So both women that I spoke with at Wheeler this week were temporarily staying with family. Um, I think Kelly told me the goal is to get her into an apartment by October. So it doesn't seem, um, at least from both of their situations, like this is the permanent solution for them. It's to sort of bridge a gap, um, which I also think was because the most people knew for like a month that the shelter was closing, um, which doesn't seem like a lot of time to find somebody a more permanent solution. I'm wondering what you guys think of that. How long does it normally take to sort of find somebody housing or get them situated? So last year in the state of Indiana, it was about 110 days was the average stay. Uh, now the median stay is gonna be lower than that. Um, so that's true for all people experiencing homelessness, um, according to the Indiana Housing Community Development Authority. Does that? And that's not always a permanent or a positive destination, right? That's so. That's that they. That's made. for housing exits. Okay. We have a question from uh, a different Jim, uh, who uh, this is probably a good question for Emily because he asks about um, what changes or trends have you seen in terms of family homelessness in Bloomington or Monroe County in recent years? Yeah, you know, family homelessness remains uh, steadily, you know, between 30 and 40 percent of people experiencing homelessness in our community. Um, we saw that number go down a little bit uh, at the tail end of COVID, um, and that may have to do with how we counted. Uh, but it also may have to do with people being more willing to take in friends and family um, during hard times uh, when there's that sense of emergency. Uh, but family homelessness continues to be a strong problem. Uh, tonight at New Hope, we've got 12 families staying in our shelter and another three staying in hotels. Um, what has really changed uh, as far as family homelessness, from my perspective, I've been doing this for 12 years, and what has really changed the most is finding landlords who are able and willing to work with families. Uh, we see an increased number of folks who are, you know, uh, looking for places but unable to find one. So in our shelter, the average length of stay is about 90 days. And people spend about 60 of those days just looking for a place. That means they have the income that they need. They have the documents that they need. Uh, they have whatever other supports in place. They may even have a housing voucher in hand, um, but they are unable to find a place to go. Um, so that housing search time, it, it, it can take as long as six months for families to find something. Uh, that's not unusual, unfortunately, at this stage. Um, and that has a lot to do with the, the, the housing market in general. You know, this is a thing that, that we talk about in our community. It's really easy to think that homelessness is caused by those mental health issues or by that substance use disorder. But what we know to be true is that housing insecurity is caused by expensive housing markets, right? So when you want to know, I have a, a colleague who says this a lot, if you want to know why a person is homeless, there are 27 reasons and they have to do with their job and their mental health and their family and their income and their background. Um, if you want to know why so many people are homeless, it's the housing market, 
right? Because most of the time people who have a struggle, and this is particularly true for families, most of the time when those folks have a struggle, they're able to still stay housed, right? Most people who have a substance use disorder are housed. Most people who have a mental health problem are housed. Most people who are unemployed are housed. The problem is if we have a housing market that already keeps so many people on the edge, one small crisis is much more likely to tip someone over the edge. And so that to me is the biggest difference that we've seen in family homelessness in our community. Is there any difference in how quickly you're able to get a single person situated compared to a family? You know, I don't know that number off the top of my head, Bent. I'd be happy to look into it and get back with you. No, it's okay. Um, I was just curious. Um, and I was also wondering... A little harder. Oh, what was that for us? Uh, I think the demand is a higher for, for singles, so it's even a little bit more difficult for singles. Um, but a very, very similar situation to what, to what Emily described is, uh, that's the, that's the biggest part of the challenge in homelessness in our community is the housing market. Okay. Um, and Emily, how many people do you only serve families in Monroe County? Do you serve people who come in from other counties? We serve families in a six county region, and those are Morgan, Monroe, Martin, Lawrence, Owen, and Green. Now, Monroe and I'm sorry, Morgan and Lawrence each have uh, some some resources in place for families, so we work hard to get those families served in place. Um, it is always our goal to help people uh, be served in place to the extent that that's possible. Uh, so, about 85% of our families come from Monroe County. Uh, between 85 and 90 percent each year. Um, those other 10 percent, most of the time, uh, like to go back to where they were. So if they came to us from Spencer, um, probably they, they want to go back to Spencer. That's where their family is. That's where their friends are. That's where their kids have gone to school. So most of the time we see folks end up back where they came uh, to us from. We have, I have one quick follow-up for, for Emily, and then I have a broader question I want to start with Jim on. And the quick follow is along the lines of um, family services for families, what are services available or offered for children who are experiencing homelessness? Emily, can you help us with that? Yeah, so children experiencing homelessness are primarily served in families. Uh, so that is th those are primarily folks served at New Hope in our community. Um, and New Hope is the only provider that serves uh, uh, Monroe and Owen and Green counties. Um, so that is the primary way that we serve children. Now there are also some unaccompanied minors uh, in our system. Now those tend to be very few in our region. Uh, and the resource for those folks right now is uh, the Youth Services Bureau. Um, but by and large, um, in those cases, DCS will intervene uh, because it is certainly unsafe for a child to be uh, unaccompanied and homeless. We have about 15 minutes to go on the program, so I want to give our numbers again, 812-855-0811, toll-free at 877-285-9348. You can also send questions, news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can follow us at, on Twitter at Noon Edition. Jim, I want to start with you on this one. I don't know if we can solve this problem today in 15 minutes, but um, you know, you've, you've worked in the community for a long time, and you've worked on I believe I remember you being on the United Way board for a while, and you've been involved in social services in the community. You're on the parks board. You've also been involved in development in the community. So I'm going to give everybody a shot at this. So what, you know, what are some key strategies that you would like to see us working on at this point? This has been is a very complicated issue. It's been going on a long time. But for Jim Whitlatch, I mean, where, where are we where are we short right now? Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. That's almost an impossible question to answer. And there's as many solutions as there are people probably. But, uh, you know, I think what we need to, you know, we need to do what we're doing and, and, uh, and do it, maybe do it better. Uh, we need to uh, work with people and provide and have services for them. And we need, you know, we probably need to look out, look outside the box a little bit. You know, there's, there's, there's things that we that 
we can maybe do better. We can maybe uh, have different kind of programs. What those are, I cannot tell you. From my perspective on the parks and things like that, I think that uh, every everybody needs to, whether they're the unhoused or park patrons or whomever it is, everyone needs, you know, we need to do what we can to provide healthy uh, services for people, but also provide a healthy place for the parks and for people who attend the parks and who are in our city for that matter. So, you know, I think that uh, continuing to have programs, continuing to do what we can to provide safe, healthy environments for the unhoused and for the people who uh, who are taking advantage of the amenities and things that we have in the community and for simply enjoying the parks. The parks serve a tremendous, and again, I'm coming from the parks perspective, the parks uh, serve a pr- tremendous role in the mental health of our city, quite frankly, not just for the unhoused, but for everyone. And, uh, you know, that all of that helps everyone. So uh, Jim Whitlatch having a solution, I don't, I, I don't have one, but I think we, we just need to keep looking at and look outside the box can, a little bit. Can you say just a few words, uh, because of your long history here, about the affordable housing issue? This has been with us as long as, as we've been working on things, right? Right, right. Yeah, affordable housing is always a problem and it's a problem in I mean I have a I have a son that lives in San Francisco uh, and they certainly affordable housing you know I, I was just in Minnesota on a, a vacation last week and you know housing up housing everywhere is is not affordable uh, for many people and uh, whether I don't know the answer to affordable housing but certainly Bloomington is a community that, you know, just even for people who uh, have jobs and things, Bloomington is not necessarily an affordable community. And whether that's more, you know, it's some of that's a supply and demand issue and how we how we deal with that supply and demand and and all those things are are challenges that we have. And Bloomington has them more than probably many communities in Indiana for that. And that's because of the university and because of scarcity of uh, inventory, things like that. What do conversations or collaboration look like between your department and others who maybe have a little bit more say or authority on issues like housing or like human rights go when you're having to address policies that impact people like the tent policy. Do you kind of talk with these housing groups or, you know, it's sort of like um, when those issues bleed into what your job is? Yeah, certainly when uh, dealing with the uh, different groups that, you know, we as the Parks Department are regularly, on a weekly basis, if not more, are in touch with meeting with social services, meeting with the mayor's office and, and the police and others to help us, but more importantly, meeting with those in social services. You know, quite frankly, the Parks Department is is doesn't have the bandwidth to do this. I mean, for instance, We've, we've inc- you know, we didn't used to have any security in the parks. It wasn't necessary. Now, over the last, um, since 2021, we've spent almost $700,000 on having to security, uh, and that's even very limited security uh, to protect parks. And, and part of that is we want to have safe restrooms, uh, and that's a benefit to the unhoused and the housed. Uh, having restrooms that are destroyed and those types of things. So working with everybody together is clearly important, uh, and it's a difficult task. I want to sort of open up this broader issue to both Forrest and Emily as well. I mean, is there are there specific things that, uh, you know, you've both been working on the, these issues for a long time, it, what what are you, do you have priorities right now for what we need to be looking at? What would be at the top of your list, Forrest? 
Well, I mean, it, it's it's pretty basic, <laughs> uh, and and you know, one we one it's housing and and to, to echo Jim and and but I'd also like add to it is that generally we're not building any housing in the in the in the range um, that is affordable for people that are struggling with homelessness. So. So that's that's a big problem uh, that that even when we're building affordable housing, it's too expensive for people that are struggling uh, with homelessness because um, we're not building in anything in the zero to five hundred rental range, which is where we should be. Uh, and so the only way to do that is with subsidies. And um, the biggest subsidy in our country is the housing choice voucher, Section Eight voucher, and there's only one uh, voucher available for every five people who need them. So we're that's that right there that would solve so much of homelessness in our community right there just to take that response and to actively sub subsidize people in poverty for housing and consider it um uh an essential uh for others but the other issue i think that's very significant is we have to really look and uh, look at um the advent of synthetic drugs in particular um, um meth and fentanyl and the, their impacts that they're having on people and really provide the services that people need to um, overcome their addictions because um, right now these these uh, two drugs in particular are incredibly devastating both from a mental health standpoint and from a, a survivability standpoint. What would you like to see done to address that issue in the community of um, issues of synthetic drugs? Um, I think I'll, uh, what I'd say is maybe a little bit controversial, but I think right now um, our, our, we're failing at the criminal justice level. And uh, what I mean by that is that um, is that we do one of two things with people. We either lock people up or we let them out. And um, we're not creating um, opportunities at a significant enough level for people to get into treatment as an alternative to jail. And, um, and, and as of just abandoning people or, or locking them up, and I think I think we really need to look at, at uh, options um, as alternatives to jail uh, in a very, very, very serious way. Emily, I want to give you a, a chance at this too. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, you know, I think, first of all, I, I want to echo what Jim said. I, I do think the affordability problem is getting worse in a lot of places. It's everywhere. You hear about it everywhere. Right. Um, and, and really, in particular, we hear about it in cities. We know that people are much less likely to live in small towns. And the movement of people from small towns to bigger cities is part of what's caused this to happen. Right. So it's not unique to Bloomington. Um, and I, I also just want to say thanks to Jim, because I think it is it's really easy in this community and in any community to feel like um, everybody's got a side. And I think it's it's really clear in our community. we got a lot of people who are on everybody's side here. Uh, and we're really lucky to have Jim and folks like him on our parks boards and on our on our council and things like that who are thoughtful and compassionate and really trying to do what's what's best for everyone. And when I look at how many thoughtful and engaged people we have working on this in our community, it makes me feel really privileged to be a part of this community. Um, and in particular, you know, when we think about how long we've been working on this, we are getting better at it, right? I know it doesn't always seem like that, but even as affordability has gotten worse, our housing uh, insecure, our homeless numbers have stayed the same. So in fact, we are getting better at this. Um, and in particular, you know, the new effort uh, heading home, the heading home effort is something that, that gives me a tremendous amount of hope. Uh, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, that's a collaboration between our city and our county and the United Way and the Community Foundation and the South Central Housing Network and a bunch of different providers. Uh, and it really is, is an effort to look at this problem system-wide and see what can we do to change our system uh, because there's nothing that I can do at New Hope for Families or that Forrest can do at Beacon or that Dana can do at Wheeler or that Carrie can do at Middleway House that's going to solve this problem. What will help ameliorate this problem is working on the system and, and working with those folks at Heading Home with Mary Morgan and her team uh, make me feel very hopeful about the future of this. We have about three minutes to go. So, you know, I'm going to take this just one step further and say, you know, if we do this show a, a year from now, what's what's success going to look like? I know it'll be incremental, but what what do you hope that 
we will accomplish in the next, you know, 12 months on this issue? What would make you feel, you know, Emily, you're talking about feeling optimistic with the Heading Home Project and everything. What would you look at? What concrete things could you look at a year from now and say, okay, we made we made a difference? Right now, Heading Home is working toward ending uh, veterans homelessness to making it a functional zero. So I think uh, a year from now, we will see significant strides toward that. Uh, that's our first goal. And then, then there'll be another subpopulation following that one. All right. Forrest? That's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I, 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 Emily had a great answer. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but I'll just uh, maybe add that I what I um, we're working on a really significant bi bu building project to build some more housing for, su for supportive housing for folks. So that won't be within the next year, but that may be within two or three. So uh, I'll, I'll use that one as my focus. <laughs> well, before I let you go with that, though, I mean, Crawford has been a I, I believe we would could say Crawford's been a success, right? Yeah, absolutely, and certain certainly in key numbers, you know, helping people be uh, be housed is a huge one, of course, but also uh, significant, dramatic drops in in arrest rates and hospitalizations and things like that. So definitely, definitely major benefits to the community and to the residents. Okay, Jim, you got one minute. All right, one minute. So, uh, to me, what success would be a year from now, from my standpoint, in the Parks Department, is a parks program where everyone feels uh, safe and welcome. And I don't just mean the traditional park participant, but the people who spend their days in the park because they're unhoused. Everybody has a right and should feel safe and welcome and should have a healthy environment. And part of this tent ban uh, deals with trying to identify, and I think Forrest made an excellent point about not criminalizing, but uh, also, we don't want to encourage uh, by uh, the illegal activity and have that. And certainly the way to deal with that is to get help. And so that's, that's clearly an issue that we need to do. But from my standpoint, a welcoming park system that everyone can enjoy, feel safe in, is what I would like to see and hope to see within a year. Thank you, Jim Wetlatch from the Bloomington P Board of Park Commissioners. Also, Reverend Forrest Gilmore from Beacon and Emily Pike from New Hope for Families. For Benta Boutier, my co-host. For Mike Pashkash, our engineer. And Nathan Moore, our producer. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.